are continuing our series, Playlist. So, now I want you guys to sit back and relax. I promise you, we ain't doing Marvin Gaye this morning. <laughs> Once is enough for Marvin Gaye. Not going to happen. But it's, if some of you can look at this little gray beard I got going here, you can probably tell that maybe I was in high school somewhere in the 80s. Does anybody have any 80s rock playlists on their phone? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's our, that's our playlist this morning, 80s rock. Now, I was on my motorcycle the other day, and I was like praying. I was actually going to do a standalone message, and Pastor John, he was, I could tell he wanted me to do a playlist. So I was on my motorcycle, and, and I can't listen. I normally listen to praise and worship. You know, that's just what I do, but I couldn't hear it in my Bluetooth on my motorcycle. My motorcycle's loud, so I turned some 80s rock on. And I heard this song, and I said, that's what I'm supposed to speak on this morning. So, so you guys are in for a treat. Now, I want to start off with a statement. Do you guys know that, that you have an enemy, and he has evil intentions towards you? I hope you guys realize that. See, if you're a child of God, if you're born again, the enemy's put that crosshairs on you. And he's playing for keeps. He ain't joking around. I know it seems innocent. He's playing for keeps. You have an enemy this morning. The Bible refers to him in, one, in John 10 as a thief. Do you remember what a thief comes to do? A thief comes to kill, steal, take you captive, destroy anything good and godly in your life. That's what a thief is out to do. And this isn't just a thief that comes in and steals your jewelry. This is a thief that means business. He's going to take you out. He's going to take your house. He's going to take your wife. He's going to take your... He's stealing everything you got and destroy you, leave you in shambles. That's what our enemy is like. There's another passage in the Old Testament, Psalms 93, and I love this. It says, surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Do you guys... I looked up that word fowler. You know what it means? It basically means snare or to snare. And so this fowler that the Bible talks about is actually a trapper. And, and how does a trapper set its traps for its prey? A trapper is somebody who studies the prey that he intends to catch. He's watching you. He's, he pays attention to your patterns as you walk through life. The enemy I'm talking about, our enemy, the devil. He's watching you. He's watching your patterns. He's paying attention. He's, he's learning the way you think because the way you think comes out in your actions. And so he watches your actions and he knows how you're thinking. He, he watches your appetites as you walk through life. What are the things that you enjoy? What are the things that give you pleasure? He's watching those things. And then he baits his trap. He takes all his information together and he baits these traps. Now, no good trapper sets a trap out in the middle of an open, slick path. What does he do? He hides them. He conceals them. He makes funnels so that, so that you can't really walk around. The natural path is right into that snare. That's what a snarer does. That's what a fowler does. He casts the net. He throws the rope with a loop in it. Whatever, whatever he needs to do to catch you. And he ain't wanting to pet you when he catches you. I mean, he's wanting to kill you and eat you. That's what he's after in your life. 
And so God, knowing this, knowing that God's intentions are good for us, he wants us to live an abundant life. He wants our families to thrive. He wants our finances to thrive. He, he wants us to thrive in our spirit. And knowing that there's an enemy out there who's trying to get you, that God constantly, through his love, gives us warnings. Amen. He gives us warning through his scripture. He gives us warning through messengers, which I happen to be this morning. He constantly gives us warning, and he says, be aware of the wicked intentions of the snarer, of the fowler, of the enemy. Did you guys know that you are wanted this morning? You are wanted. Hey, Jared, would you play that song, that 80s song this morning? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Mr. Bon, Mr. John Bon Jovi bless us with that one. See, that's right. When, when, when you decided to give your heart to Jesus, to surrender and live for him, the enemy, he put that poster out, that wanted dead or alive poster. He put it out on you, and, and he sent it out to all his little, his little rangers, his little Texas rangers, his little imps, all of his little demons, all of the devil's advocates that he uses. Your face is on it. And he put it out, and you're wanted dead or alive. Now, I know... Wanted Dead or Alive is an 80s rock song that, that Bon Jovi parallels the life on the road as a successful band and musician to an old West outlaw and we're wanted dead or alive. But I'm not going to focus on that this morning. There's another thing that made this song very popular. It's the theme song to a Discovery Channel series. Does anybody think of that series? Deadliest catch. I don't know who said it, and, and I'm very surprised. <laughs> There's like three people said deadliest catch in a crowd this big. How many people seen deadliest catch? Okay, there's quite a few of them. There's quite a few that haven't. And so I want to talk. Deadliest catch is actually a series about commercial crab fishing in Alaska. And, and it gets its name deadliest catch because it, because it is the number one most dangerous profession in the world. In the world, hands down, number one, it's dangerous to be a commercial crab fisherman in Alaska. And so this morning, I'm going to tell you guys a true story about somebody who is very dear to my family in the past about their experience, commercial crab fishing in Alaska. Now, since so many of you haven't seen the show, I need to give you just a little brief background on commercial crab fishing in Alaska. I've I've been to Alaska so many times. I've commercial salmon fish, commercial longline for, for gray cod, commercial halibut fish. Had a little bitty stand on a crab boat in Alaska. So um, I know a little bit of what I'm talking about here. Now, commercial crab fishing is a winter fishery. They do it in the winter in Alaska. And you can wake up and start fishing with general swells on the Bering Sea. And by the end of the 
the day, I mean, you could be in hurricane force winds with 20-foot seas. If any of you guys have seen Daily Sketch, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, the weather can be nasty. It can be icy. It can be brutal. It can freeze up on, it's so cold that it can freeze up on your deck. And if it gets enough ice on the top of the boat, <laughs> naturally, it gets heavier than under the water. And that's not a good thing in the, in the cold water of the, of the Bering Sea. And so they say that the weather of the world actually starts in the Bering Sea in Alaska. It's that volatile and that nasty. And so in these conditions, these, these capsules of these boats, they got to make the money. And so it doesn't matter what the weather is. I mean, they watch it some, but they're going to catch crab. And so they take these 80 to 160-foot, 200-foot crab vessels, and they load them down with all the 1,000-pound crab pots they can, they can hold, and they head out into the, the great unknown of the Bering Sea, out into the middle of nowhere where there's no land for hundreds of miles. And, and there's enormous money to be made. There's still a, a very lucrative business. There's enormous money to be made, and, and because there's so much money to be made, they'll push you. They'll push the deck hands. It's nothing to do a 36, 48-hour hitch, you know, with no relief. I mean, you're just grinding it out, grinding it out. And, and because of the extremely difficult nature of the work and the long hours, that exhaustion, fatigue, and carelessness set in. And those two are killers in the Alaska waters. Because once you leave the deck, if you happen to leave the deck and get in the cold water of Alaska, you've got 90 seconds. You've got a minute and a half before the first stages of hypothermia start setting in. And you start losing muscle function. Isn't that crazy? 90 seconds. And one of the most deadliest things that can happen to you if you're a commercial crab fisher in Alaska is if you get caught in the, in the rope as the pot is dumped overboard. If you get caught in that rope... It's very difficult to get loose from it because that thousand pound pot is pulling on that other end and it's hard to get the loop out. And you're probably going overboard with that pot to a, to a deep, dark, liquid death. There's a captain of this ship, the man in charge. And when you're a deckhand on this boat, before he ever leaves the harbor, he starts putting in your head a warning. He says, always keep your feet planted firmly on deck and stay away from those ropes. Those ropes are deadly. Those ropes are dangerous. Over and over, keep your feet planted firmly on deck. If you got to move, shuffle your feet. Don't pick your heels up. Don't pick your toes up. It's dangerous. You don't want that loop to come grab you. And stay away from those ropes. So, so when the pot is dumped overboard, you know, the rope begins to uncoil off of the off of the dock, I mean off of the deck. And it, it kind of goes out real, real nicely and neatly most of the time. But every once in a while, it'll, it'll have a kink or something and it'll throw a wild loop out. You, you've seen a rope uncool. Sometimes it'll throw a loop out. And if you happen to have your heel off the ground, it's like, it's, I'm sorry, I'm spitting on folks up here. If you happen to have, it's like, you ever seen calf roping? The healers, they'll throw around the back heels and they'll throw that loop inside of them and that calf steps in it. If, if that loop happens to grab you on the heel, it'll cinch you up and, and, and you're in big trouble. And so you hear these warnings over and over and over. Stay, keep your feet planted firmly on deck and stay away from the ropes until, until sometimes you're like, yeah, yeah, I got it already. Just shut up. 
How many of you guys have been sitting in a church service and you heard the same message like three times now, straight in a row, and you're like, all right, we got it. We got it. Be quiet already. Move on to something else. I want to encourage you. When you hear the same warnings over and over and over, listen. Pay attention to what you're hearing. Because those warnings is, are for your safety. They're for your survival. They're not to, to make you aggravated and it gets you perturbed. And so you've got these 80, 160-foot crab pots loaded down with crab pots. And you go out into the Bering Sea and you begin to take these pots and you dump them overboard in a straight line, sometimes miles long. And after you get all those pots on deck, you go back to Dutch Harbor, you load up another load of pots, and you go out there, and in a different location, you set another string of pots out. And after you get the second string, you go right back to the first string. They've been soaking for probably 10, 12 hours at the bottom of the ocean, and you begin to, there's a, there's a coal man who has a stainless steel hook and as those pots are out there, there's two buoys, and he throws between those two buoys, grabs the line, puts it in a winch, and they begin to pull those pots towards the surface. And everybody's like looking around, like watching as that pot comes up, because the water's so clear as it comes up 50, 100 feet, you can begin to see that pot. And what you want, you want that pot to just be bulging with crab. Big male crab, if it's bulging with crab, man, you're in the money, and everybody on that, on that boat is going to go home smiling. <laughs> I mean, it's nothing for a deckhand to make 60, 100, 120,000 in, in a month or two. Big money to be made. So, so they're watching this pot come up. And if, if they're on the crab, if these pots are full, they'll pull it up. They'll dump the crab out. People will start sorting it. And they'll rebate the pot, dump it right back in. The, the captain will call a release and sploosh. The pot goes back in and they do this methodically. Hour after hour after hour after hour. Now, right now, I want to introduce you to a young man named James Taylor. Now, my buddy James Taylor is sitting back here. It's not him I'm talking about. This is a young man who, who was engaged to, to my cousin, Monica. He's from Oak Grove originally. And James had heard about the money he could be making in Alaska. And he also heard about a little Bible college that I happened to go to where I surrendered my heart to Jesus in Homer, Alaska, Alaska Bible Institute. Well, he heard about this college, and this was before, way before. He was a lot older than me, so it was way before my time. But he heard about Alaska Bible Institute, and he wanted to marry his fiancée, his sweetheart. But he didn't have any money to start a family, to build a house. So he said, I'm going to go to Alaska. I'm going to get a Bible degree, and I'm going to begin to, I want a commercial crab fish in Alaska. He got him a job on a crab boat. And things were looking up. Man, they were, they were catching fish. This was a great young man. I mean, he was in his early 20s. He was ambitious. He was honest. He had integrity. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. He was careful. He was much like a lot of you guys. And so he was on the ship, and just like all the other men on the ship, the deckhands, he had been warned, keep your feet planted firmly on the deck. Stay away from those ropes at all times. Don't get too close to those ropes. On this particular day, early in the season, man, excitement was, I mean, they were catching some crab. And all he could see was, was his fiance's face. <laughs> She's going to be so excited. I'm going to have enough money. We can, I can actually buy a house and pay cash for it back in that day with the money I'm going to make. He was excited. Maybe his memory was short. 
Maybe he, maybe he forgot what the captain was saying, keep your feet planted firmly on deck, stay away from the ropes, Joseph. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he just ignored it because of the money he was making and the excitement that was going on. I don't know. Remember what I said earlier? Sometimes you hear the warnings over and over and over, and you're just like, I got it. Maybe that's what he thought. I got it. I got it. You see, James was the coil man. He was the one who had the hook, and he threw the, threw the hook out and grabbed the rope and put it in the winch. And back in those days, they didn't have an automatic. He was the one sitting here coiling the rope as it come on board. He was the coil man. Fishing was great, man. They were making good money. And this day was an unusually calm day for the Bering Sea. They call it flat calm in the Bering Sea. It's still rolling pretty good, but for the Bering Sea, that's flat calm. It's a great day. You know, calm seas <laughs> make for lazy sailors. Whew. You get apathetical when the seas are calm. You let your guard down. Remember that in your life. Calm seas make for lazy sailors. Sometimes it's good to have a little ad- adversity in our lives. Keeps us on edge, keeps us on our toes. Keeps us reaching out to God, you know? So this day it was calm. You could hear the, the whine of the hydraulics. You could hear the, the drum of the big diesel engines in the hull of the ship. Just like any other day, the, the monotony of it was just over and over and over again. <clears throat> there was this particular pot that was hauled up and it was set on the dump, dump rack. The door was open, the pot was dumped on the sorting table, and immediately everybody had a job to do. <clears throat> they began to, to sort these crabs. They throw the, the small crabs and the females over, keep the males, the big males. Everybody was busy. And it took, it took just a minute to realize something's wrong on deck, something's wrong. And immediately it all, it set in. Hey, somebody's missing. <clears throat> the pot had been dumped back overboard. And all of a sudden, people looked and said, James, is, where's James? <clears throat> and they called for the captain, and he shoved the boat in reverse, and, and there was another guy grabbed the hook and grabbed the buoy because all the line was already in the water, and that pot was sinking, had been sinking for a minute. It was almost at the bottom. They had to wait just a second for the pot to settle because the hydraulics, you can't stop that pot on the way down. It's got to hit bottom, and then you begin to winch it back up. It'll tear your rigging off of your ship. <clears throat> And so immediately they grabbed and put that line in the winch and began to winch it back up. They're like, we don't know what happened to James. And as they got like a couple hundred feet from the surface, there was a, there was a, a loop in the line, and there was a big wad of rain gear in this loop. <clears throat> and that's the last anybody ever saw James Taylor. He was, he was buried as so many other sailors before him in the depths of the Bering Sea. <clears throat> now, I was thinking about this as I, as I went through this in my mind. I was thinking, I was wondering, man, I wonder what James was thinking when that pot, when that rope had a, had a grip on him and he was being sucked down. I wonder what he was thinking. If I had only listened to the captain, if I'd only listened to, to the man in charge, why? Why did I get so close to these ropes? I mean, they look so innocent going out. They look so smooth, but then I got too close. I got too calm. I got too relaxed, and all of a sudden, a loop jumped out, and it grabbed my rain gear, and I couldn't get loose from it, and it sucked me overboard. And, and as he's sinking down, I could, just, I could just picture it in my brain as he's sinking, and, and 
the surface is getting further away and it's getting darker around him as he gets deeper and deeper into the depths of the, of the Alaska waters. And he's, he can see the whole of the ship up there and he's like, I messed up. I messed up. His lungs begin to burn for air. Maybe his final thoughts, I don't know, were about his friends back home. He'd never be around a campfire with them anymore, never go fishing. He'd never stand in church. He grew up in church, never stand in church and raise his hands with his friends anymore. Maybe he was, talk, maybe he was thinking about his parents who had raised him right. They had invested years in his life. They would never, ever, ever be the same because of a mistake he made. Maybe he was thinking about his fiancée who was ecstatic that he was making money and they were going to begin a life together, start a family together. And now, for years, she would mourn his death. Not only his death, but just a disappearing death, one that there's no closure to. And then he was finally forced to, to take his last breath of salt water and entered a, a liquid grave, never to be seen again. Such a loss, so much pain that other people experienced because of his mistake. He, he had an incredibly bright future. Why, James? Why did you get so close to the ropes? Why didn't you keep your feet planted firmly on deck and stay away from those ropes? Why, James? Now, I just told you a true story, a true story with a very unpleasant ending. And that story brings me to a question. The question that, that the Holy Spirit's been asking me all for a couple weeks now, working on this message, and that I'm supposed to ask you, what are you doing so close to the ropes in your life? Come on. It's quiet in here. I don't even have to mention any because I know the Holy Spirit has got you thinking about some ropes right now, some things you're too close to that, that, the, that the word that the Lord says is dangerous, that the Spirit says, stay away from that. But, but yet our human nature, we start getting close to it. We start getting comfortable with that little sin issue. <clears throat> mm, what about the wild friends and the wild places you've been hanging out at again? You know, the, the word says bad company corrupts good morals. You know, be careful who you're hanging out with. You slide right on in there with them. It's a natural tendency. Those, there's ropes there. I, I'm amazed at how many young people these days, they don't have to be young, old people like me. It just, just... It's, it's like their motto when they go to dating or choose somebody to date. It's like, I'll take them 9 to 99, blind, crippled, or crazy. It don't matter to me. <laughs> Come on, guys. If you want your life to prosper, and if you're interested in a male or a female to date, you better make sure that they're marriage material. Don't just go out there just kicking tires in your relationships, playing the field. I mean, find somebody that is going to stand up and be a man for God who is going to pursue God with their whole heart. Find you a woman that's going to pursue God with their whole heart. If you don't find that person, you are going to get caught in a rope. I'm telling you, what, um, what about that substance you, can, you considered going back and dabbling with a little bit? 
you know? What about that bottle? You, you, I know, I know. Six months sober and bulletproof. I know. I already know. So we think we're invincible. We think we're bulletproof. And we go back and we say, I could take a little sip. Just a little, just a little down. It won't hurt me. And all of a sudden, rope got me. And I'm heading down. What about just riding the fence? I, I'm like half a, half a leg, half a foot in the world, the other foot trying to please God, and I'm just riding that fence. There's a rope there. Be careful. Maybe your rope's calm waters. Your finances are good. Your business is good. Your marriage is good. But you're getting lazy in the calm waters. There's a rope there. Be careful. Don't let your guard down. We have an enemy. And he's out to get us. Maybe your rope's different. There's probably a lot in a, in a room this big. There's a lot of different ropes that you're dealing with, that you're close to, that, that God's given you a warning this morning. Keep your feet planted firmly on deck Hallelujah. and stay away from those ropes. Maybe your rope is different, but I promise you it's dangerous. Let me say that again. Maybe your rope is different, but I promise you it's dangerous. You see, in this life, there's a lot of ropes. There's a lot of dangers, and they'll suck you overboard if you let them, just like James. And people, we've been given a solid warning by God to stay clear of those ropes. <laughs> those ropes, the snarer, the, the, the fowler sets for us, the snares that he sets for us. Stay away from them. Keep your feet planted firmly on deck. How do you keep your feet planted firmly on deck? You spend time with God in prayer. In a real relationship, don't just, God, I mean, I'm talking about spending time with him in prayer. Listen to what he's got to say. I'm talking about reading and studying God's word and not just reading and studying God's word. Get that word inside of you, but you got to obey it. The Bible says you need to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. If we just hear it and we don't change the course of our actions, it doesn't change anything in us. Obey God's word. Obey what he's, what he's calling you to do, following the Spirit's leadership in our lives. There's this still small voice in your life that's saying, this is the way, walk in it. Get in line with the Spirit. Pay attention to where he's leading you. Yield to those gentle nudges that the Spirit's given you, and you will keep your feet planted firmly on deck, and you'll stay away from the ropes. Get you some good friends who are pursuing God with their whole hearts and hang out with those people. Friends who will speak truth into your life. Friends who, friends who will tell you the truth in love. Who will hold your hand and, and we got it, bro. You got it. You don't have to fall back into that stuff. Get those kind of friends around you and you will, you will keep your feet planted firmly on deck. And you will stay away from the ropes. Deuteronomy chapter 12 says this says, be careful to obey all these regulations. I, the captain, the Lord, am giving you. Be careful to obey all these regulations I'm giving you so that it may go well with you and your children after you because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Be careful to do what he says. Be careful if you're getting too close to the ropes in your life. But if you aren't careful, then those ropes, those snares are waiting for you. They're waiting for me. You see, God gives us a choice. I don't know if you guys remember Samson in the Bible. Samson 
I don't have time to talk about him much, but Samson had a Nazarite vow over his life. That means he could never cut his hair. I wouldn't make a Nazarite. <clears throat> I'd be like disqualified because I can't grow it in certain, certain places. I guess I can let grow what will grow. Look like Bozo the Clown. But <clears throat> he couldn't cut his hair. He couldn't eat grapes. He couldn't, he couldn't drink wine or any fermented drink. He couldn't, he wasn't even supposed to, to get close to grapevines or a vineyard. And he wasn't supposed to get next to dead things. Then the first rattle out of the box, man, he's heading down to Timnon. He done found him a woman, a foreign woman, one of the wild foreign women. And he goes down there. He, that's what he wants. But it says on the way down, it says, as he was passing the vineyard, I'm like, Samson. What are you doing so close? He said a lion came out of the vineyard. And, and God graced him with strength to overcome that lion. He killed that lion with his bare hands. That was a, that's a bad dude. Lions are nothing to play with. Samson was a bad dude. Except for he got close to the ropes in his life. He was too close to the vineyard. And on the way back, he walked past the same vineyard. He said, hmm, I'm going to check out that lion. I'm a man. I'm the man. I'm going to check this line out. So he walks over this line, and, and there's this carcass, this old dead, dried-up carcass. And you know what he found in there? He found some honeybees that made a nest, and they had had honey in there. So he reached his hand up in this dead carcass. Okay, now he's by a vineyard, and he got his hand up in some dead stuff. Too close to the ropes. And we know how, how this worked out for Samson. He went on down there and got... Got hooked up with Delilah. Got hooked up with him crazy. Got hooked up with Delilah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to stay out of trouble. Trying to stay out of trouble. <laughs> he got hooked up with Delilah. And, I mean, she manipulated him, worked him, worked him. And finally, long story short, you guys know, finally she found the source of his weakness. She exposed it. And the enemy came, and they plucked his eyeballs out. And then he just spent the, his latter part of his years grinding, grinding wheat for his enemy. Whew. Ropes. Too close to the ropes. Matthew 7, 13 says that, that there's a wide path that leads to destruction. <laughs> there's a lot of ropes in it. Leads to destruction, but there's this narrow path that if you and I walk in it, the, the path that God has laid out before us, this narrow path, that we can stay away from the ropes and we can keep our feet planted firmly on deck. Matt, Galatians 6 says this, it's your choice what you plant. You remember? You reap what you sow. It's your choice what you plant. But remember this, that you're going to have to pick what you plant. And you're going to eat what you plant. So be careful what you plant. As you plant, remember this. Play that chorus one more time, Jared. <laughs> As you plant, remember this. That you're wanted. As you plant, as your actions plant in this life, know that there's an enemy. And he's after you. You don't have to be the next casualty. You don't have to be the next one sucked overboard like James. You don't have to listen to the voice of the enemy that says ropes are harmless. Sin is harmless. You don't have to be lulled into a false sense of security and then destroyed in a careless moment. 
Stand strong in God's word, y'all. When the winds blow, and they will blow. Notice I didn't say if they blow. When the winds blow in your life, stand firm, planted on God's word. When the, when the, when the storms rage, stand firm. When that crab pot drops in your life and there's crazy loops coming all around you and, and you're about to get caught, man, put your tennis shoes on and run back to Jesus as quick as you can. Get away from those ropes in your life. Run for your life. And Pastor Chad, if you're not all the way coming, come on up. If you're not on your way already, come on up this morning. I'm getting close to, to ending this. So this morning, perhaps, <laughs> we said everything I know to say about ropes. Perhaps this morning, that you're sitting here and, uh, and there's an area of, of your life. If there's a rope and it's, it's already got you. It's got its, it's got its loop around you. You got too close to the snare. It's got you. The surface is getting further away, and it's like you're, you're about to give up hope. You're like, I don't know how to get loose from this rope. You know the pot can't be stopped until it reaches the bottom, and I don't know if I can make it till the pot reaches the bottom. I'm, I, I got to get a breath. I got to get a breath this morning. Well, if that's you, I got good news for you. I mentioned earlier Psalms 91.3. And it says this. It says, surely he will deliver you. Surely our heavenly father will deliver you. Surely, most assuredly, it's going to happen. I promise. I mean, it's going to happen. Surely he will deliver you from the snare, from the ropes of the fowler, of the enemy. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. You see, no man or machine can stop that pot, but you know what? God can reach down with his strong, mighty hands and he can begin to pull that pot back up in your life. And he can pull it and pull it and pull it and pull it. He can rescue you. He's stronger than anything you're facing this morning. He'll begin to pull you back towards the surface. I want to tell you a, 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 just a little small story, that real true life story that happened. My son is 31. His name is Trent. He's, he's 31 now, but when he was about three years old, he couldn't swim. And, and we were getting ready for church. Me and Angela, we were in our Sunday finest, and we were sitting in the living room. And, and our kids and our little cousins, it probably was you two out there with them, and they were out playing on the dock, about eight foot of water, pond water on just nasty old pond dirty pond water and they were playing on this dock and, and there was a little fish trap sitting there you seen the little wooden fish traps there's a fish trap and had a rope tied to it and Trent little bitty guy he was out there and he was playing with this fish trap and we weren't paying attention we were, weren't watching them they had been out there playing for hours so sitting in there Sunday finest and all of a sudden we heard these blood curdling screams coming from the pond and some of those screams that you know something's wrong, something's bad wrong. And me and Angela, we jumped up and we, we began, I began to sprint. It's probably 100, 150 yards out to the dock. I began to sprint. And as I was running, I was like assessing the situation. What in the world's going on? And I noticed there's this big, this big circle ripple in the water where something had went, something had fallen in. And, and I knew immediately just looking as I was running that my son was missing, couldn't swim. 
eight foot of water. What he had done, he, he was going to throw that, that fish trap out. And somehow it hung on him, and, and as he threw it, it jerked him over into the water. And I ran out to the end of the dock into the deep water, and I just, I just jumped off right in the middle of that ripple. And I was underwater, and I was like, you know, you're going around trying to swim around, and you're feeling, trying to grab, trying to find my son. And I finally felt something. I grabbed it, and I could tell it was him. And I grabbed his shirt, and I reached up. I reached up to the dock, and I just threw him with one hand up on the dock. And then I crawled up beside him. And he was coughing up water, and, and, and then he began to cry hysterically. So, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm rubbing. I'm saying, it's okay, Trent, it's okay. Yeah, little three-year-old. And as he, as he got through coughing, he kind of settled down a bit. He looked up at me with his big old scared eyes, and he said, Daddy. He said, I was trying to call for you, but the words wouldn't come out. He was underwater, but he knew who who the, he knew his only hope was his daddy the only person who would be willing to jump in that murky water and save him was his dad he said daddy I tried to call for you but I couldn't get it 